Yeah, very basic like, who cares? in terms of plot maneuvering. I know, but we're podcasting about it, Vardy. So let, let's at least presume that for the next 25 minutes we get. Yeah, <laughs> but like, who cares? No, but like, who cares about it? Like, it's such a stupid little, little side plot. Like, it's inconsequential. Like, I don't understand why they're wasting time on this. Hey everybody, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Vassals of Kingsgrave discussion of the new Amazon series, Rings of Power. My name is Fina007. You can find us all on the Vassals of Kingsgrave Discord. If you Google VOK podcast and come to our WordPress site, you'll find a link for it. I'm joined today by Mary. Hi everyone, it's Mary, and I'm Mary on Discord. And by Michael. Hello, Carl Wadegi on Discord. And I'm hoping the size of this podcast speaks more to my last-minute nature of organising it than the popularity of the show. Although <laughs> I do hear rumblings about glacial pacing. So let's start off with our Rings of Power rating out of five, not 19 or 20. Um, Mary, <laughs> do you, you want to go first in episode four and maybe tell us um, how your ratings have evolved? And actually, just a warning to the listener that we could potentially spoil anything in Tolkien's published works or indeed the Peter Jackson movies. Over to you, Mary. Yeah, so I think I'd go down this week um, compared to last week, uh, which I really liked, I think. Uh, my memory isn't isn't great but I'm like maybe three out of five something like that it is quite slow it still is beautiful but just I need a bit more to happen like I'm happy to be in the universe that that's been established uh that was the feeling for the first few episodes and now I kind of need something more um to keep me interested uh so yeah that's where I'm at Michael, how about you? Yeah, I've gone down to two out of five uh, for similar reasons, that the pacing is not quite there. I don't feel that anything of real consequence has happened. There's nothing that's really coalescing any of these storylines to my satisfaction. And I just am not satisfied with the, the dialogue and the writing. Uh, so that's uh, unfortunate. Yeah, I have to say, I would have been with Mary on a three for exactly the reasons both of you have laid out. Glacial pacing, offsetting what was some actually quite lovely stuff, I thought, in Casa Doom. But I had to dock it an extra point just for that awful kind of meat cute between Elendil's daughter and Farazan's son. I just thought it was so kind of like, oh, let's bump into each other in a high school corridor and realize we have stuff in common as you drop your art book. It just felt so terrible. So I'm I'm really concerned that it hasn't kind of picked up pace and hooked us yet. I really hope the next episode they start really getting into some action. Oh, so hey, Vali, do you want to give your um, Rings of Power rating out of five for this week's episode? Sure. I did not like it. I'll give it a two and a half. I think that on the timeline of the entire series, it might be more justified, but it just feels like it's going so slowly. Vali, you're in fellowship because Michael gave it a two, I gave it a two, and Mary gave it a three for exactly the same reason. 
Yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so okay, that's good. it for the podcast, right? We are all in agreement. <laughs> Let's call it a day. <laughs> yeah, just one big circle jerk. Um, I did love uh, L. Ron Duran. That interplay is a gift that keeps on giving. But uh, yeah, everything else is, it's a little tough. Let, let's talk about the three different plot locations. So we have Numenor, um, we have the Southlands, and we have um, Khazad-Dûm. And maybe start with Khazad-Dûm first. It's a more discreet storyline where Deza um, has discovered Mithril, which we know is going to be a very important ore. And Durin is off to go mine it in secret from Elrond at first, or that he then shares the secret in growing friendship. Um, Durin's father discovers that this is what's happening. There's a horrible cave accident, although thankfully no one dies. And a very beautiful ceremony in which Deza sings to ask the rocks not to kill the people who have been trapped. Um, and there's a long discussion about fathers. So Durin railing against his father for not allowing him to mine that new seam. And um, Elrond's giving quite a very moving story about his father being lost and, you know, having to live up to very august parents and the pressure it puts on you, but actually taking advantage of them still being with you because it's very sad when they go. Do you all want to talk about what you did, didn't like about this? For me, the highlight was that um, discussion, the Elrond moving thing about his father. But I did really love the song to release the, the miners um, alive. I thought that was strangely moving. But over to you guys. Elrond's little song to the door to try again to open up. The little rat-a-tat-tat, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it also seemed like a running theme was like trying to impress your father or live up to your father's standards or something. And every character seems to have a little bit of that for this episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, we will come to the Is He Sauron figure in the Southlands, whose name is Ada, which also means um, dad, apparently. Mary, mm-hmm. thoughts on, on this part of the story? Uh, well, just like you, it's my favorite part as well. Again, I think the, the tone is right, uh, whereas I don't think it is quite in other parts of the story. Um, the dwarves and the Moria is, is looking amazing. Um, I was a bit surprised at how easily uh, Elrond was sneaking in and going wherever he pleases, but I guess that's that's the charm of being an elf. <laughs> um, and uh, well, uh, yeah, uh, I I liked the little thing about giving Disa uh, the find, like saying that she's the one who found that. Um, it it's just there. It, it they don't make a big point about it but it's um it's nice agreed uh michael anything else yeah i'm always just happy to see aspects of uh dwarven culture which i think are interesting and more of the casa doom shots i think are really nice i'm intrigued as to what this mithril will lead to either um we're getting to that very end goal where Khazad-dûm uh, and the mines delve too deep, or will this mithril be used in forging of the rings? I don't know. Shocking lack of knowledge. Yeah, what were the rings made of? Does anyone know? I don't think mithril, but I might be completely wrong. I would I guess Narnia. Mithril. I think Narnia was mithril, the one that Galadriel has, but I don't oh. know about the rest. You know, when you say what's going to happen with the mithril, I, I do like the thought of like a bunch of like dwarf scientists like in the next episode and lab coats and test tubes like trying to figure out because they're like oh we got to figure out like what its properties are and you know stuff like that so i, I, well, I like gave, that he gave some to elrond so presumably calabrimbo is going to be the guy who's 
doing that and realizing what cool shit he can do with it. I I like the uh, fact that there's like an element of discovery because we just Mm kind of take it for granted in the later books that the dwarves know how to like do all this shit like kind of off the bat. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's lovely to see stuff coming together like that. So there was a debate going on on the Discord chat about Rings of Power. Uncle Kevin said, does Elrond come off kind of sleazy to anyone else? I guess it feels like he is convincing in the way that Gandalf could be, except that Gandalf had a pure purpose. It's the way he keeps leveraging the friendship for his political goals and saying that he isn't doing that. Um, so yeah, any any feelings about Elrond? Because I kind of agreed with Kevin. I, I think that Elrond keeps making out like it's friendship and he's leaning on Juring for friendship, but evidently he wants to impress Celebrimbor and he has he is an elf and I feel that there is this theme, isn't there, about the fact that all things on Earth, Middle Earth, are going to be corrupted um, by pride and power and that, you know, it's it's not a, it is trans, it's partly transactional, this friendship. But how do you all feel about Elrond at this point? I think I'm more on Adam's side of the debate uh, here. Like he says that it doesn't seem like like that to him, and he loves the kind of innocence that Aaron has. He just enjoys in his friendship and genuinely believes that uh, Dorian uh, is going to bring something to the project. But don't it that, like that it's a good fit for him as well. Um, I kind of agree with that, but it's also because we have we have very little dialogue, right? So it's hard to really figure out uh, what's what's going on with this these characters, and and Elon seems a bit neutral in a way. So I'd rather think that he values his friendship and he's not using it too much. But we could I could totally see it the other way around. Um, it's more what I, I choose to believe. <laughs> but I think it'll be interesting to see if the writers choose to give Elrond a test. Maybe Celebrimbor asks him to do something or to take some sort of dwarfish knowledge and whether Elrond puts Durin or Celebrimbor first, like duty before friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far there's a lack of dramatic tension in this entire show, so who knows if we'll get that. <laughs> and any other comments on Elrond? Just what you pointed out now, that the fact that Celebrimbor might be investigating this mithril and Elrond did take an oath holding of the mountain that he was not going to blab to anyone about it. So I do wonder if that might be his test in a future episode. Yeah, I hope so. I think uh, we saw some of his motives. If he's coming off creepy, he's trying to live up to this Arendil. Like, he's like, my father is a fucking star that you can see every night. Like, how am I supposed to top that? <laughs> um, so I think that maybe his ambition is will kind of be uh, his downfall or cause that dramatic tension that we think will happen. Yeah, um, a really beautiful theme to show. It, it's kind of interesting, actually, how House of the Dragons and Rings of Power seem to have this living up to parents, parental, child relationship at the heart of them. Um, anything else on, on all things dwarfish? Uh, Duran's wife is really good at making up shit on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> She's so awesome. I love her as a character. Yeah. Um, which is impressive for like a made-up character, you know, that she just seems very both of the world and yet um, wonderfully not, but in the best way, like har- in harmony with it. Um, okay, so shall we move to the lands formerly loyal to Morgoth, maybe still loyal to Morgoth, which we know that Galadriel thinks um, Halbrand is really the lost king of. And mm-hmm. we have our elf cop who has been captured and we see the face of this shadowy figure who may or may not be Sauron. 
who tells him to go back to his people and say that, or not his people, but the Southlanders and say, you've got to basically surrender um, and worship Morgoth and your lands will be forfeit or we'll just kill you. Um, and in the midst of doing that, he rescues Theo. So Theo has has come back to try and steal some grain, gets cornered by an orc, but um, has has a blade hilt, which may well be the sword hilt that Sauron has previously lost and that the orcs are trying to find because when he when his blood hits it, it launches into a kind of magical sword. So do we think Theo's particularly of interest or is it just that he happens to have his sword and that's the interesting thing? And how did you find this whole episode and any theories on who the father figure to the orcs truly is? Cold hands, like same makeup and everything. <laughs> In the yes. <laughs> fantasy crossover. <laughs> it is him. We finally found him. <laughs> I mean, the shadowy figure might not be Sauron. It might just be just another of Morgoth's henchmen who happens to look creepy, right? I don't I don't think it's Sauron, actually. Yeah, I'm leaning against Sauron now. Yeah. He doesn't look I mean, fair enough, right? No, exactly. Sauron in in this uh, moment in time is supposed to be like this very uh, beautiful character that uh, is gonna is gonna he's gonna corrupt everyone, and he this one looks like a villain, so it doesn't work. Mm, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's a whole group called the Black Numenorians, and in the extended version of the movies, we see the mouth of Sauron, and uh, we see him in the books as well. And he's described as a lieutenant of Sauron that uh, that was corrupted, and he was a Numenorean. Uh, so I think it might be someone like that, but not Sauron. Cool, yeah, good call, good call. Uh, while we're still on who who is that, uh, who suggested Lucky Charms on Discord uh, suggested that uh, it might be Megro, who is. Uh, if I remember correctly, what I googled when he asked, <laughs> um, he's one of the other Fiona's uh, Fiona's sons, um, who kind of got like uh, to a bad place. <laughs> um, so I don't think there's any um, book truth to that, but it might it might be him. I would like that idea. I mean, the idea that he is like a corrupted elf uh, is kind of what the show is going for, I think. But we will find out i guess yeah at any rate the corruption of things and people by sauron is clear um do we think theo just happens to be a random cute little boy or is there some significance to the fact that he has the sword hilt is there something special special about his blood hitting it or could it be anyone's blood the fact that they uh won't specify who his father is makes me suspicious although that stupid tavern keeper also seems to have done some ritual with the sword so maybe it just takes any and all blood yeah so that's what made me think oh maybe theo isn't that special maybe it just is it, it's just, he's just a token of look even this innocent young child can be corrupted um and and intimidated by fear but i guess we'll at some point find out i don't know i found this all profoundly uninteresting actually and like the the ludicrously unnecessary sm- slow motion rescue by the elf cop Yes, again, why? Why the slow motion? I mean, and also the music just didn't make sense at all. Like, you'd have expected something a bit more, like, with tension, uh, dramatic, uh, like, thriller vibe, you know, Um, or, like, 
you, you need to feel in danger, danger. And and we had this choral, um, very atmospheric uh, thing in the music, which was more tragic than it was um, dramatic and scary. Uh, it's and, almost like they feel that anytime elves are on the move, we have to have choral music but that's kind yeah. of mystical, even if it's totally unnecessary. Like, it oh, is, there's a guy running yeah. with a bow and arrow. Why would that be all choral and mystical? That's just a guy fleeing. And it, 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 it wasn't that mystical it was it, it was mostly the way i heard it was like it's it's a really tragical moment like boromir dying moment you know with the the arrows going around him and and you're i mean it does it didn't sound right <laughs> to me at all the music and i think just that one detail which is not a detail obviously could have changed uh, a lot of things to the way uh, i uh, appreciated the scene Anything else on, on this this part of the story? This is super inconsequential, but I did notice that Theo supposedly <laughs> stayed in the well for uh, the rest of the day and then the rest of the night, because when they make it out into that field, the sun is rising for a morning. But didn't Theo think that when the sun comes out again during that day, he could just get out? Like, <laughs> you get really cold when you're in water for like three hours or more. <laughs> This seems super inconsequential. Seems like the subtitle for this entire plotline. It really does. <laughs> but you're right. Like it didn't really. Why did he decide to get out of his hiding place at this moment? Right. I know. Where, I when know. it's dark and and the orcs are still there. Like there's like nothing has changed. Because he's as dumb as the elf cop. No one in this oh, part right. of the world is clever. <laughs> Anywho, let, let's move with rapidity to Numenor, because at least people there, in some respects, are clever. Um, <laughs> although we do get a nice bit of Halbrand mansplaining to uh, <laughs> Galadriel about how to do Oh, God. I know. Um, <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll go in, I think, reverse order of importance. So <laughs> let's look at the little... And these are all kind of father-daughter, father-son-themed uh, stories. Let's start off with the high school romance between uh, Elendil's daughter and Farazon's son, who he clearly has the hearts for her, and they bump into each other in a hallway. Oh, God. Anyway, let, let me read, because Tedard had um, an interesting comment about this, which is the only thing I think is remotely interesting. Anyone else a little disappointed that Arian w- will be set against Elendil is all because of a boy? So when she was witnessing the R. Farazon speech, the crowd, I thought she might get swept up in the speech, but it looks like they're going with, oh, she falls for the guy's son, so we'll be on her side. It does seem weak. Yeah, very basic like, who cares? In terms of plot maneuvering. I know, but we're podcasting about it, Barney. So let, let's at least presume that for the next 25 minutes we get. Yeah, <laughs> but like, who cares? No, but like, who cares about it? Like, uh, it's such a stupid little, little side plot. Like, it's inconsequential. Like, I don't understand why they're wasting time on this. I'm not a super fan of the plot, but I didn't hate it either. And I think they kind of have, I mean, I, I get the idea that to, they, they need to get more side characters that who's been, who are going to have an impact on the rest of, of the story, because otherwise it's just two or three big names and we get no uh, new ideas uh and and relationships but so i don't hate the 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 idea of adding these two as a as as something of interest i'm not sure they're gonna play in the oh uh, she's against her father i'm i'm wondering if it's not gonna be the opposite because the son doesn't seem to be 
a huge fan of of his father as well, uh, either. Like he's a bit like, oh, uh, if he's insufferable, he can uh, convince anyone. Uh, he kind of sees through his politician bullshit. So maybe it's gonna be the other way around. Uh, either way, I agree with Tedard. I don't. I'm not a fan of the oh, uh, she falls for him, so they're gonna be. It's it's very very weak. I have zero interest in any of these characters. Even Farazon <laughs> yeah. so far is just like a very sort of populist bread and circuses guy. Like I mean, I just felt that the the nature of his populist speech to the people came off very much as HBO Rome, like the old show they used Mm -hmm. to do. And it was very crude. And for the writers, I felt just a bit sort of too on the nose with what they presumably feel is a commentary on today's populist politics. I just feel that whole fact, anything to do with Farazon, I'm not really, it just feels like it's in a different story to me. Like it's so anachronistic to the rest of the world. I feel like they're setting up for a a Theoden kind of revival of Farazon. Like Sauron will get there and, you know, get him out of his old thoughtedness. But yeah, the, the guy that looks like an old Chris Pine um, definitely just sounded like Trump. It's a good eyebrow game. Probably the best eyebrow. <laughs> oh, for sure. A.O. Weigel, old German central banker, for those in the know. Um, so at this point, he hasn't been corrupted by Sauron. At this point, he's just a populist numpty, I guess. I think it isn't clear. Like, I mean, I guess at this point, Sauron hasn't been too much of an influence in Numenor, but at the same time, we like we learned that the conflict between the two factions is not new and i don't know what like what's what's them and what's sauron in there uh, isn't clear yet pray true true i'll tell you what there wasn't enough influence off in this episode and that was the hotness of elendil maybe i'll reduce my rating to a one just on that score day and although he did have literally the only kind of half funny line in the entirety of the four episodes today <laughs> i suppose while we, <laughs> while we while we clear the decks before we get to the galadriel and muriel stuff which is really cool um, we see Isildur uh, fuck up his uh, sailing test, gets his two friends in trouble. He seems to hear Middle Earth calling to him. Any any thoughts on on Isil? Oh no, you fucked up your test. Why did they fire the other two guys when it's obvious that they had nothing to do with it? Besides to they cause know. some cheap drama for the next scene. Well, you called <laughs> it cheap drama. <laughs> Like, I, I just remember watching that scene that comes after and just being like, ugh, I am thoroughly disengaged. <laughs> it does feel the quality of the writing. I mean, I know this is the most expensive show ever made, but they could have spent some more bloody money on the writers, couldn't they? Contrast this with Game of Thrones, not Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon this week and the sort of the nuance and intricacy and complexity of that episode. This is, this is so basic and so crude. We find out Isildur and Mrs. his mommy. Well, Who was dead, was... just like I said. Boom. It's so Disney. It's so Disney. <laughs> okay, so we're building up slowly to Gladriel and Muriel. I think the final little piece of the puzzle there is to speak to Halbrand in prison, who Gladriel now is convinced is the missing king of the South. And he tells her that she shouldn't be galloping around on horseback, just being rude to everyone. She should actually try and figure out what they want, not to exploit it, which was an interesting first answer from Galadriel, who's meant to be a pure elf, but how to therefore understand their fear and help them achieve their aims. 
So not unwise advice, but a little bit condescending. Thoughts, feelings? No. <laughs> not, a, not a fan of Halbrand, <laughs> the, the wise. He's just going to end yeah. up going back, taking his crown, getting a ring and becoming a wraith, isn't he? I mean, it's just, there's no dramatic tension there. Yeah, I'm just, all my rage is for the next, like, little scene with the Palmine Tears, so I'll keep it to myself. Okay, let's let's move to it then. Unless anyone has anything to say that isn't about Galadriel and Muriel, speak now. So just as she's getting released from her jail cell, and then she pulls the, the quickie over those three guards, like, there's some very quick cuts, and then, like, the final scene ends with her, like, gently pushing the last guard into the prison cell, and I was like, what? <laughs> it was kind of silly. Yeah, it was a bit, I mean, like, just to add to the ridiculousness of the proceedings. Also, why? I'm just, oh, anyway. Um, alrighty, so then we proceed and we have the story of Muriel and Galadriel. And I guess up, up until this episode, Muriel has been painted as a kind of crude populist who doesn't like the other, who's very anti-elf and comes across as quite stupid. And here we realise that actually she's a more nuanced character, that her father is dying and indeed dies, um, and that she's kind of been protecting the secret of his frailty rather than cruelly locking him up in a tower. She wasn't necessarily seeking to be Queen Regent. She was um, kind of made so by the coup d'etat. We also realise that she has the dream of the wave that Faramir has in Lord of the Rings and that Tolkien had in real life. And because of this, she fears the coming of Galadriel. She thinks this is the start of the fall of Numenor, which maybe makes us more sympathetic to her anger at Galadriel's arrival and hostility. We also realise that she has one of the Palantiri. Um, she believes this is the only one in use and shows Galadriel that vision. Galadriel has a hilariously arrogant moment where she's like, yeah, I've, I've I've touched up a palantir before. Galadriel escapes initially on her own, but Muriel has a change of heart and realises that maybe the moment is not to fear having Numenor taken away by the Valar, but to live up to that promise of helping the elves once more and sends Elendil and a party to go and support her in her journey back to Middle-earth. I think that's um, that's pretty much it. Uh, Vali, do you want to um, go for your Hulk, Hulk smash rage right now? Okay, so they say all the Palantirs are missing, but when Elendil lands on the shores of Middle-earth, he brings with him seven stars and seven stones and one white tree. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, why, why would they? Why, why would they even say that when it's already established in the movies that there are at least two or three kicking around? Like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Maybe Muriel just doesn't why. know. Maybe Muriel doesn't know, and maybe that Palantir will end up with a Lendil, and he will bring Seven to Middle Earth. You don't know that they have non. But not, not that they're all lost. Well, maybe where they, they're they going to find know. it. Maybe she doesn't know. Well, she can use the stone to see the other stones. Not if they're I will say that though. I will say though that the uh, visuals of the fallen Numenor was pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Well, you are appeased. Um, how did you find the rest of it, Vali? Any thoughts on the the Muriel and Dad? kind of story or anything again like who cares it was nice to just get a little more from muriel to see that there's more than meets the eye because she had been very lacking up until this point i did find it a little strange that she's seen this vision of numenor being flooded but then is like well i've got i'm just gonna keep keep on the same course and i'm not gonna try changing anything up until the white tree starts uh, shedding its petals or whatever but i was just like 
or you know the 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 tidal wave you you seem to understand that's the wrath of the gods and so you're just going to keep making the valar really angry by like being mean to the elves i yeah <laughs> what's oh, else think? It? okay so it's like you, you know that you were given this island for helping the elves and yet you're going to not help them but is it that she feels a prisoner of the populist elements in her country like she kind of really wants to but she knows Farazon is whipping them up and that they staged the coup d'etat but are on... maybe she feels she couldn't welcome Galadriel and she has to seem more kind of hard-ass than she really is I don't know I wish they had made that more clearly like if she had said that specifically to Galadriel I wish I could be of more help or something I think she's scared of any uh, political unrest and and conflict uh, uh, in Numenor like she 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 seems to believe that what's going to be their downfall is if the Numenorians uh, do not are not living all in peace, and uh, so that's why she, I think, she tries to to play it so that everyone is kind of happy. The reason for the change of heart is when she sees the white petals from the the white tree fall, yeah. Um, exactly. and yeah, and. So I don't know. I didn't. I didn't find it that uh, silly uh, that she wouldn't support Gardrea or that it wouldn't be obvious to her that the right thing to do is to is to uh, be in an alliance with the elves. Um, I think she she's a bit traumatized by the almost civil war that already happened when her father was uh, on the throne. Yeah, that's a good point, right? If you've seen your own father deposed and you've been kind of put into place by the party and you know that Farazon's really whipping people up then how much how much agency how much room to maneuver do you really think you have mm. I mean it, it just makes you look back at episodes one to three and think a lot of that was just posturing and trying to look the strong woman when actually she's nothing of the sort and it's Farazon who's really the populist strong man um, and I guess this is going to set up some kind of conflict right because she's now sent off Elendil and a lot of the elf lovers to go help Gladriel and she's going to be quite exposed if Farazon has a go at her and says why did you do this like at some point we have to see him become the regent right or become the ruler so maybe this is going to be the pivot point that that causes mm -hmm. that to happen um something's got to happen in the next episode please <laughs> I hope so because we're halfway through the season are any of you tempted to just not bother watching? Like, I know at some point Westworld was, yeah, I just stopped watching. I mean, it's very rare for me to not watch a season if I'm halfway through, but... Or are you guys still liking it enough? To, I think, Vali, you sound the most negative. Are you still going to persist and give it a go, or what's the feeling? I feel compelled to see this through. Me too. I mean, I have two Tolkien tattoos on my body, so there's no way I'm not watching the show, but I will <laughs> voice my displeasure when... I am displeased. You're just going to watch it and be pissed off like Statler and Waldorf on the balcony in the Muppets. Exactly. And the same airline. I very much picture you and hashtag Greg as Statler and Waldorf, like the lawmasters <laughs> watching from the balcony going, ah, oh, this sucks. <laughs> but we're going to watch anyway, week after week. Uh, we'll clap because it is over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anything else to say about this episode? I mean, we can keep it short and sweet because... Clearly, none of us really enjoyed it, apart from some of the dwarf stuff. So. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good length. <laughs> oh, you know, you know what I liked? I liked the mm. elven cranes, how they were like spirally. That was nice. <laughs> when they're building the tower. Um, alrighty then. Well, I'm sorry, listener, um, because there wasn't much enthusiasm for this episode. And you might feel if you yourself was dissatisfied that you've come here for a sucker and uh, got none. <laughs> 
But I hope you tune into the show next week and then into us and hopefully hopefully things turn around. I mean, maybe just coalescing, like having Galadriel back in Middle Earth with a with a Lend deal, maybe hooking up some of the other characters, maybe maybe shit will start to happen and, and this will all be good groundwork and we'll we'll look back by episode ten and think this was all worth it. So yeah. we shall this episode was like a dance with dragons where it's just like nothing really happened and then you know, next episode will be the big battle, the culmination of all this plotting around bullshit. Oh, you had to go there and mention that. Yeah, yeah, you had to. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, at I least think you're doing it for 10 years for the next episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, God this is that. great. They, they've, they've spent <laughs> way too much money on this IP. We'll, they'll be churning out episodes uh, yeah. rather quickly, I would imagine. All right, then. Well, that's a great place to leave it. If you want to come join us on Discord and enter all the debates, look for VOK Podcast WordPress. Find the link, come join us, and otherwise we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Yeah, bye, everyone.